Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I am Joe. I'm still your host. Um, we are joining you, I don't actually know the date tomorrow when this is going to be released. So it's the 20th today, so it will be on October 21st, which is Saturday, Sunday morning actually. Um, and so for Sundays, um, we're going to be recording longer, sort of more more bigger picture podcasts potentially. Ideally, we're going to have Koo and my current guest today, Ryan Love, on. Um, Koo couldn't make it tonight. He said he had something else. Um, but, yeah, so my guest tonight is Ryan Love. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Realist Ryan Love. Um, that's R-E-A-L-E-S-T, Ryan Love. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a writer for, for a local news station in Tulsa as well. You know, I, I moved here from Detroit not too long ago and, uh, I'm a writer for hashtag Pistons. So, so yeah, that's, that's all I got. All right. So, um, we're going to hop right in the first thing. So Ryan obviously hasn't been on the, has, Oh, Oh, <laughs> sorry. The Purdue Ohio state game is on and Purdue just got a pick six. It's. <laughs> Just oh beautiful. no. <laughs> so, um sorry. So, Ryan That's hasn't been awesome. on the pod yet obviously. <laughs> and so even though when we're recording this this is just after the Pistons victory over the Bulls um which was the final score and that was 118-116. Um but first to start off, we're going to get Ryan's thoughts on the Nets game which was obviously a couple nights ago. The Pistons won 103 to 100, I believe. So yeah, just sort of general thoughts on the Nets game. Yeah, I, I feel like, especially just, you know, obviously like we all saw that the, the Pistons offense started really slow and it, it feels a little scattered to me. Like I feel like they would set up in their half court offense and it just didn't really seem to, like they just didn't really seem to know who to go to at first. Like Blake Griffin's your go-to guy, but it didn't really seem like they knew like that was where they wanted to go at first. And I mean, him on Jared Dudley of the Nets was obviously where you wanted to go. But it, it, it just seemed early on like they didn't really know where to go. And then as the game went on, I feel like Blake got more touches and everything. So, um, like, I, I feel like they took that, like, as the game went on, I feel like they took that much better than they started out with. And, uh, and you know, that's a game that should should win, you know, against the Nets. Like, the Nets have a really good team, like, as far as a young core that can go towards the future. But that's that's a game that the Pistons should win and they did. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay with how they ended up going, even though that was a closer game than most Pistons fans would want going to the future. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but um, yeah, you pretty much nailed a lot of it. They seemed a little out of sorts at the start, but um, other than a few kinks, they kind of got it figured out later in the game. Particularly, they figured out that their best option was to just, you know, give the ball to Blake Griffin. Um, and the thing that we're going to, the other question that I'm going to ask you as we lead into the game just now that happened between against the Bulls is what are your sort of general thoughts on the fact that here, because both in the preseason and now in the first two games of the season, it's been featured very heavily what are your thoughts on the lineups featuring both Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith? You know, it's tough. Like I like I, I never liked it last season when they would any time that they got any time together because it was just like Ish is a really big pusher of the ball. 
Like he, he really tries to get it up and down the court as fast as he can. And it, it works, it works really well. Like as, you know, as well as it can for somebody, his skill set, you know, an undersized guard who can't really do like a whole lot against the guys he's facing one-on-one, but, but I feel, I feel like it does, it does really well for him personally. And I just, I've just never liked it with Reggie because Reggie's a real, like, I'm going to set the half court offense up and kind of hold the ball for a while, which, you know, not, not, I'm saying I, I don't love that so much as, especially with the way the game's going where, you know, you're, your point guard supposed to really set the offense up and go from there where Reggie like has a habit of holding onto the ball, which, you know, I know a lot of Pistons fans have, have a problem with, I don't have too much of a problem with it, but going with Ish Smith, like Ish is not good at the half court offense as much as we'd like him to be. Like I, just, I, you know, for me personally, I don't feel like he's set up for that. I don't know what your feelings on it are. Well, I mean, obviously, I've talked about it a bit already, but um, I agree with a lot of what you said about the offensive side, and that's kind of the issue because we know that defensively it's certainly not going to be a plus. Uh, neither Reggie Jackson or Ishmith are plus defenders under really any circumstances, and then yeah. putting them both on the floor together, you're just you're going to be very undersized in the backcourt. So it's just it's not a good option defensively. And I just, for all the reasons you just said, it's just, it doesn't make a ton of sense offensively beyond just, and this is the one thing that I've sort of given to it, is that there's a certain logic to just saying, we're just going to put as many ball handlers on the floor as possible because that's what you need. And the Pistons have at times had too much of a deficit of ball handling on the floor in the past. And so just you just basically say, screw it, we're going to bite the bullet. Um, all the sort of conventional ways that play, these players don't fit together, you know, put those all to the road, and we're going to just roll with as much ball handling and playmaking as possible. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like when uh, like when you have Reggie Jackson and uh, and Langston on the floor at the same time, I feel like it's like Langston's never going to bring that ball up, no matter no you know no matter what. Because Reggie Reggie wants that control, and which is fine, because Reggie's a very good player. But I feel like Ga- like Galloway kind of gets lost whenever he's in there with Reggie. But that's where he has to be, and and, and ultimately, like ultimately, I feel like that's where you know the selection of Kennard coming into this offense is going to be most important. Because because Re- you know you want Reggie to bring the ball up and everything. And you want shooters around him because he's going to be distributing that ball. Because Langston Langston's a really good defensive player, and Ish is just a you know a transition kind of guy. And I feel like neither of those guys like as they can, they can work in short spurts with Reggie, but I just feel like they can't really down the you know down the stretch of a game. I feel like you got to have a different option. And I feel like that's where Kennard would come in with that kind of, that sort of. Uh, shooting around the uh the kind of ball dominant guard that reggie is well okay so you know so last podcast we had a we had a section in the itinerary dedicated to coup coming at me tonight we have a section in the itinerary dedicated to me making a rant about Dwayne casey and just because you brought up luke Kennard, do you know do you do you, do you know about what happened with luke Kennard tonight I didn't see a whole lot. Of, like I, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the box scores tonight, and I didn't, I don't see much of anything out of him. 
Well, that's because there was nothing out of him. He did not play. I figure, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, Jose Calderon played. <laughs> Great, yeah. So, awesome. <laughs> okay, so here's a bit of a rant. Now, I want to start off by making one thing abundantly clear. I've tried to make it clear so far is that it is too early to, like, totally jump the ship or anything like that. I'm not. Oh, saying, yeah, yeah, it's, it's game two. Yeah, I'm not saying that Dwayne Case is clearly a failure and a bust and he's utterly useless as a coach or anything like that, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. It's way yeah. too early to say that. But, but, and this is a big but here, is that everything coming into the season. So I've I've mostly been against the hiring of Dwayne Casey both before they hired him and since they've hired him, I've been kind of like, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And pretty much every single thing that coming into the season made me worried about Dwayne Casey as the Pistons head coach has come true in the first two games. It's been, like, glaringly there. And, I mean, whether you go back and you find something that I've written or even, and I did an entire podcast on it earlier in the summer. And, I mean, I've said these things several times. Like, you can go back. I remember I've talked a lot about how I really didn't like the idea of that Dwayne Casey's almost certainly going to go with his super conservative defensive scheme that has his big sit way back. I hated that for Andre Drummond. Um... Oh yeah, that's gonna have that's gonna have Andre sitting deep under the basket every every uh, possession. Yeah. So and I've and guess what? That's the defensive scheme he's run, and it's yielded very poor results so far. Now that's not totally the scheme's fault. That's also the fact that Andre Drummond has not played very well, and also in particular, the perimeter defenders have not played well at all. But right. it's just like it's it, there's a lot of things like that where it's like coming in, it's like okay. This is how Dwayne Casey has coached in the past, and I think this is going to really not work well with this Pistons roster. And then two games in, it's like, okay, that's exactly what he's doing, and it hasn't worked well with the Pistons roster for all the reasons that I thought it wouldn't. So, once again, too early to like have a total breakdown and panic about any of it, but I don't like it. And so with this game, so the Pistons did beat the Bulls, and once again, important to note, they did get the win. That's what's important. At the end of the day, they're two and zero. Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 a win they should get for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so many people were so optimistic about Dwayne Casey for so many reasons coming into the season, and I kept saying, you know, you're actually going to be disappointed by him in this area or that area. So here's first one, okay. The number of people all offseason who've talked about how Dwayne Casey is going to be so great for some of the young guys on the roster because he's really going to believe in them and he's not going to be so hard on them like that mean old Stan Van Gundy was, okay? So, first off, Henry Ellenson is totally gone. He's not playing at all, which, fair, admittedly. But people thought, oh, well, he'll be able to find something for Henry Ellenson. He was out of the rotation already in the preseason. Um, and then tonight in this game, Luke Kennard didn't play. Jose Calderon played, and Luke Kennard didn't. Jose Calderon only played four minutes, but Luke Kennard didn't. And here's the other thing. So in the preseason, um, Dwayne Casey started playing Langston Galloway ahead of Luke Kennard. Like he started getting on the floor before Kennard, and it looked like he was ahead of Kennard in the rotation. And me and Koo were kind of like, you know, this is something I'm a little bit worried about because... 
Casey said that one of his goals for the preseason was to get the rotation figured out. So it's kind of like, you know, there may be something to this. And everybody said, everybody said, Joe, you're overreacting. Um, Luke Kennard got hurt this summer. They're just working him back into game shape. Okay, here, let me bring something up. Because someone asked, someone asked about it tonight. And, all right, so James, James Edwards of, um, of The Athletic, who does a great job, he said, he asked Dwayne Casey about it after the game on Luke Kennard not playing, all right? So, Ideally, you would like to hear him say, well, he just, we decided, you know, he's not ready to go yet. Here's what he said. We can't play 15 guys every night. His time will come. So, no, actually, it's not just that Luke Kennard's hurt. It's not just that he's working his way back into game shape. It's that Dwayne Casey has decided Langston Galloway is better than Luke Kennard. That is what's going on here. And actually, Dwayne Casey's also decided Ish Smith is better than Luke Kennard. And apparently, Dwayne Casey's decided frickin' Jose Calderon is better than Luke Kennard. <laughs> Let me tell you something. None of those three guys are better than Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard no, is yeah, really o- good. O- overall, as a player, absolutely not. And it's just like, okay, so all summer you spend talking about how, oh, well, we're going to play all the young guys more, and he's going to give them so much confidence. All right, oh, yeah, on the confidence front. Remember when he his he was going to give so much confidence to Stanley Johnson and Stanley Johnson was going to figure it out? Yeah, I remember that. So he actually did get a couple of buckets late in this game. But on the night, Stanley Johnson scored 10 points, shot 4 of 13 from the field. Not good. Also went minus 21 Ugh. in 30 minutes. By far worst on the team. So, you know, <laughs> he also shot really poorly in preseason. His shot doesn't look that different. Koo says that it looks a little different. Actually, also, um, Helbridius on Twitter, which if you don't follow him, anyone I, will listen I, to this. I, I, f- I, feel like it look, I feel like Stanley's shot looked different during the preseason, and now all of a sudden it just looks exactly how it did last season. So I, don't, I, I feel like he was trying new things, and at this point it's just it might not it might not have just been something that stuck so much. Yeah, I mean – I'm not like a big shot doctor type, but it just no, yeah, like it, you know that you know, like I I'm uh, I follow the Charlotte Hornets a pretty decent amount, and I remember when one of their assistant coaches tried to really fix uh, Michael Carter uh, Gilchrist or MKG's yeah. uh, MKG shot, and it just did not like he had the most goofy looking jump shot for a while, and they fit. They said they fixed it, and it looked good, but it's still, you know, it, he's still a borderline starter on that team. That team is awful. So. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like, okay, so all of that stuff. And here's the thing, because so I'll be in a group chat or whatever. I'd be like, you know, I'm not sure that I believe Dwayne Case with this. People are like, well, he's saying all the right things. And it's like, so just for, honestly, it's kind of random how it ended up, but just I kind of have followed the Raptors fairly closely the past few years. Mostly just because I just sort of happened to end up following a lot of Raptors fans on Twitter. Like, that's honestly, it's kind of stupid. But because of that, I've been fairly plugged into the Raptors, okay? Dwayne Casey's done this every offseason with the Raptors. And this is the reason why Raptors fans were totally driven crazy by him. Because every offseason he'd say, oh, we're going to pass more, we're going to do this more, we're going to do that more. And every season it wouldn't change. Last season the offense changed. Because Masai Ujiri basically told him, we're going to fire you if you do not change the offense. That it is this or that. And so Nick Nurse designed a new offense, and they did that. And it's just like, 
he's done this in the past. And so everyone all offseason is like, oh, well, he's saying all the right things. They're going to make Henry Ellenson an NBA player. Luke Kennard's going to play a ton. You know, unlike that mean Stan Van Gundy. And freaking <laughs> Luke Kennard is now out of the rotation, overtaken by Langston Galloway. Langston Galloway is worse than Luke Kennard. And Stanley Johnson still doesn't know how to offense. And he was by far the Pistons' worst player in this game. And it's just like... And then oh, the freaking offensive scheme on this team through two games is there's nothing other than give Blake the ball and hope he does something. That's oh, all yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, like, I, I noticed, especially, like, watching closely the Nets game, like, I, wa- I watched the, uh, especially the first half, the first half I watched two different times. And it just felt like they just didn't know, like, they would pass, like, it wasn't like anybody was holding the ball, especially, like, I feel like that was an issue even when the even when the team was doing really well last season with uh, with Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris on the team, I feel like even then, like the, you know, the ball would stop with one of those two. Like I feel like the ball's moving really well, but as like no matter who ends up with the ball with those last few seconds on the clock, they just don't know what to do with it, which is really a really bizarre thing with you know with a Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and a Reggie Jackson on your team you'd think somebody would know <laughs> what what they need to do with the ball with the last few seconds on the clock but especially with the you know especially with the first game like it, it, against the Nets it just didn't feel like they were like they knew what to do with the ball when the clock was winding down well so it's just like it's not necessarily just the fact that they look lost at times where it's important it's like Okay, once again, all off season, I'm like, well, Dwayne Casey is not proven to be exactly a bright offensive mind. His teams have always been very isolation heavy, not a lot of passing, okay? And so far this year, in two games, once again, it's only two games. It's only two games. It could get better. Yep. But they've had no offense other than Blake, go do something. That has been their offense. There hasn't been a right. freaking thing other than that that's been worth anything. And also, and actually one thing that's really concerning to me is there have been uh, frighteningly few Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson pick and rolls. And if you're not going to run pick and rolls with those guys, why is Reggie Jackson on this team? And here's the well, other thing. Well, right, right. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, like when, when Reggie was brought to this team all that time ago, that was the big thing. It was like, oh, wow, these Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and rolls are going to be unstoppable. And, like, they should be. But with Reggie, like, Reggie just doesn't seem to see them all the time. And, I, you know, I don't know if that's a that's a him problem or Andre problem or both of them just not syncing up, but it just does not seem to be something that Casey's pushing, which should be, you know, one of your number one plays that you go to when you're struggling offensively. No, this is that is 100% a Dwayne Casey thing. This is not an Andre Drummond thing. That is not a Reggie Jackson thing. Those guys love to play together, literally. They love to run pick and rolls. Reggie Jackson is like, because he's kind of an asshole like this, He's on record many times saying, well, I wish that the offense could just be me running pick and roll every single play, every possession. Like, you know, he's pretty open about that sort of a thing. And the so the, the fact that they're not doing that is because they've been told not to. And imagine looking at this and going, okay, we've got Blake Griffin, which is great, and I love that he's playing well, he's playing awesome. We're going to talk about that later. Your second best option is by far Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, pick and rolls, and they're basically like, yeah, not going to do that. And then it's like, at the end of this game tonight, so you've got, they closed out with, now, part of the reason they closed out with this lineup is because Andre Drummond fouled out. But so yep. they closed out with 
Reggie Jackson, Ishmith, Stanley Johnson, Blake Griffin, and Reggie Bullock. It should be noted that Stanley Johnson is the guy who was brought on when Andre Drummond was hurt. So they were planning on closing this game with Ishmith and Reggie Jackson both on the floor. The ball is in Ishmith's hands every possession. Reggie Jackson was parked in a corner outside the three-point line and did nothing else. He didn't touch the ball in any of these sequences. Now, to be fair, given the way Reggie Jackson played at the end of the Nets game, it's not totally absurd to just sort of say, okay, for at least tonight, you don't, you don't get to do anything tonight, but right. Yeah. Cause he, he was in, he was in full hero ball mode yeah, at the end of bad that hero game. ball. It didn't even remotely work, but it's like, <laughs> right. if you're going to have him just be a spot up shooter in the corner, he's not going to handle the ball at all. Why on earth is he on the floor? Because he's not that good of a shooter. Put Langston Galloway in, put Luke Kennard in, put Glenn Robinson the third in. All of these guys are better shooters. And he's not a good defender either. Both both Langston Galloway and Glenn Robinson the third are probably better defenders than he is on the other end. Like, even if your decision is, okay, um, you know, Reggie Jackson, he made a bunch of boneheaded plays at the last game. We're going to really send a message to him. He's not going to handle the ball at the end of this one so that he really gets it through all the way his head that he can't do that, okay? That's fair. Why is he even on the floor if you're going to just park him in the corner? Reggie Jackson does you no good being parked in the corner because he's not a good enough defender to make up for it, and he's not that good of a shooter in the first place. So it's just like, why are you <laughs> – why would you do this? It's just right, and, and and that's the thing. Like, I feel like the like because if you if you even look at like the defensive side of it, like the guards for both of the last two teams that Pistons have played, like with the with the Nets, like Lavert and Dinwiddie had great games, and if you look at the it, you know Levine had thirty three points tonight. You know that <laughs> like it's not it's not like they were locking down the Bulls guards to where you got to keep them out there. That you have every opportunity, even at you know. Kennard gets ripped for his defense, and even then, like he would have done better than Jackson normally does on even Levine, who's ten times the athletic guard as Kennard is. You know, like I, I feel like down the stretch, like that Kennard, his shooting offensively is going to do you better than is going to outweigh Reggie Jackson's offense and defense altogether. Yeah. One thing, just as a, this is kind of a side note, but, so, as you said, Zach Levine scored 33 points in this game, and an efficient 33 points. This wasn't like he took 38 shots or something like that. He had, let's see, he had 21 shots, 9 free throws, so, he scored 33 points on 24 shot equivalents. That is absurd. And he did that, and he was still, by far, a team worst, minus 14 on the Bulls which is a very Zach Levine thing. That dude gives back a lot right, of points right, of course, on yeah. defense. <laughs> that, that, that's why the Bulls are a team that the Pistons should absolutely be. Yeah. So because their, just, best, their, their best player does that um, yeah. you know, regularly. But it's just, I'm just, I just was sitting there at the end of the game. No, it was cool that Blake Griffin was just so comically, like they had no answer for him. That's great. But here's the thing, okay? The Pistons are not trying to squeak by the Nets and Bulls. That's not what they're trying to do this year. The Pistons are trying to achieve some, I mean, you know, you can argue exactly how lofty they're really shooting, but the Pistons hope to be a legitimate middle-of-the-pack playoff team at the upper end of what their goals should be, right? And so 
barely beating the Bulls and barely beating the Nets is not what you're shooting for. So you can't just say, well, you won, so we're all going to be happy. You have to know that, guess what? Against teams that are not freaking terrible, this is not going to fly. You can't just decide to go, okay, well, we're just going to make Ish Smith our crunch time point guard. Like, we know what Ish Smith in the crunch time looks like. We've seen it the last two years. And let me freaking tell you, it's a disaster. Because because crunch time is setting up your half-court offense almost. uh, like It it feels like almost every single crunch time game, you're going to need to have someone who can set up your half-court offense, figure out where the best plays go to. And Ish Smith is just never going to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. And even though it worked out in this game, it worked out in the last game. And Ish Smith, he even he hit a three at the end of this game, and he also hit the right. and, and, and that's something layup. you're never going to want to count on, Ish yeah, Smith so, hitting a three, you no, know? Let me be clear. <laughs> I like Ish Smith a lot as a player. I'm glad that he's yeah. gained some extra minutes here. I even I'm even open to that, you know, playing him with Reggie Jackson has some benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I like Ishmith. But he is not the guy to be closing games against good defenses. We know how that ends. And it ends really, really poorly for the Pistons. And it's just uh and but second game, already decided that's what we're gonna do. And I just I just can't see it long-term yeah I I, I I just feel like like your closing your closing guards have to be Reggie and either it, it, like Kennard or Galloway depending on what your matchup is like Galloway is going to be the de- better defender obviously but Kennard is you want Kennard to grow as that you know that closing like if he's going to be the shooter that you drafted him to be then you need him to be able to hit those shots late and you need to give him the chance to do that well, also you know that, like obviously this Pistons team isn't gonna you know you expect them to make especially in a weekend Eastern Conference you expect them to make the playoffs but you you know you need that shooter late to get you into that you know six seven seed in the Eastern Conference. Well, once again, I want to be clear about another thing is that I'm not arguing for Luke Kennard to be getting minutes just because because there are people who've said this that's like well. Gotta develop him. Gotta develop him. I'm not. A, that's not why I'm arguing Luke Kennard should be getting minutes. Luke Kennard is better than Langston Galloway. That's why yeah. I'm arguing for it. He's a better shooter by a pretty fair margin, and he's also a much better ball handler than Langston Galloway is. Langston Galloway is nothing but a gunner. Luke Kennard is a better shooter and has a more well-rounded offensive game. And it's just like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You can say whatever you're gonna say there. No, yeah, no. no I'm just, I was just gonna say, like Galloway's a marginally best, better defender than Kennard, and that's just something that Kennard has to get used to. He's just like the, I feel like that's the only thing in the like since getting into the NBA. I feel like the only the only thing that he has to work on is defending an NBA guard, and that you know that comes with time. Yeah, so it's just I don't know, man. That's I think I I need to not continue to just rant about all the things in this game that made me very frustrated with Dwayne Casey. Once again, it's like with the defensive scheme, I've talked about that ad nauseum in um, the last podcast or two podcasts ago, and I'm going to wait and give at least, I don't know, I'll probably wait until like at least mid-November to give as a chance for them to start to at least execute it better than they have been in the first two games before I start to really lose my mind. Because, admittedly, once they start to execute the defensive scheme better, where um, the perimeter players are not just being absolute matadors and Andre Drummond's not fouling every single possession, 
it will look better then, but so I'm, I'm I shouldn't do it. We're, we and we've got other things that we can talk about. But just know, even though I'm not all the way to panicking, I'm not just like I've watched two games and I don't like what I've seen. So now I'm like, oh, this is all bad. It's that all of the things that I've seen that are not good are all trends from Dwayne Casey's time in Toronto. And remember, that's not a small sample size. He was there for seven or eight years, and these are all things that happened consistently with him there. And so, no, yeah, I mean, I mean that that's a that's an Eastern Conference Finals team that he had last year that you know he spent plenty of time with that he should you know he should have an he had plenty of opportunity to figure out what those players could do and could not do, and that you know I feel like that's the same thing that he can get with this Pistons team, especially like a group that has been a, together for a while. Like this is, this is the same Pistons team that we've had for a little bit now. Like, with, you know, despite like, you know, besides like Blake Griffin and everything, but like as far as Reggie and Andre and that sort of dynamic, that should be your, you know, your one, two guys to initiate the offense and, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like that's something that Casey should be able to take advantage of as time goes on this season. But also, like- you know, I just, I mean, so with the Reggie Jackson Ishmith thing, because they played a ton of minutes together already, and I feel like Dwayne Casey's falling into the sort of classic old man coach trap of that. Well, there's a th- you get a thing that succeeds at one place. So we're just going to do that again. And so last year, Fred VanVleet and Kyle Lowry were a great combination. So he's just. So I feel like he showed up here, he ignored everything else, he's just like, we're just going to play both our point guards a whole bunch, and it'll work, because it worked in Toronto, without even thinking about how, like, Fred Van Vliet is better than, is definitely better than Ishmith. Fred Van Vliet honestly may be better than Reggie Jackson. Kyle Lowry is well, definitely yeah, yeah, better. Yeah, these are, these are two entirely different yeah. point guard teams. Both guys are elite shooters. Both guys are yeah. elite defenders. So even though they're undersized, they're both great defenders. They're both great shooters. They fit together clean as a glove. You're undersized, but it's okay because they fit together so well in all these other areas. And honestly, quite frankly, they're both certainly much better than Ish Smith. And there's an argument that both players are better than Reggie Jackson is. You can't just well, say... And, and that's the thing, too. Like with the, uh, with the Eastern Conference, in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, they had Fred Van Vliet a hurt Fred Van Vliet taking all of their important shots exactly. <laughs> in the Eastern Conference Finals. And you would not – like, that's the number one guy you would take over Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith last year. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was the semifinals last year. Second well, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Just, wanted to, just wanted to put that out there a sec. Um, yeah. But, no, you are right, though. Fred Van Vliet was taking important shots for them. But, so – and then the other, the last thing that I'll say on the Dwayne Casey rant before we move on to other stuff is that, no, the Pistons did end up getting up 43 pointers in this game, but which is good. And that I'm guessing that 40 is the number that they're, sh- that they're hoping they shoot per game. Uh, that's right about what they shot per game in the preseason. That's right about what the Raptors shot last year. But you saw the difference from the first half to the second half with the three-pointers for the Pistons, because I don't know exactly what the split was. but So in the first half, they were just gunning like crazy. They hit a whole bunch of them. In the second half, ooh, excuse me. In the second half, they started to miss some, and they weren't. the Bulls were more disciplined about, um, about sort of getting out to shooters and not giving up lots of open threes, okay? 
I feel like Dwayne Casey basically decided, okay, so last year we shot a bunch of threes and it worked really well. So we're just going to shoot a bunch of threes this year. But he didn't actually do anything to try and help them actually generate good three-pointers against good defenses. And let's be clear, the Bulls may be one of the worst defensive teams in basketball this year. So, Right, and, the, the, I mean, they're going to be one of the worst teams in general, so yeah. Yeah, and in the second half, when the Bulls sort of made some adjustments and such, they started to do a good job of shutting down the Pistons' three-point shooting. And that's sort of that's one of the reasons that the Bulls were able to keep it close the entire second half. And they they were bolstered by the fact that what did Blake Griffin shoot? I'm gonna double check this. He shot Blake Griffin went five of seven from three. And I think almost every single one of those was just a pull up, okay? You can't count on that every night. Not even close. No, yeah, ab- absolutely. Like the way he the way he does the pick and pop instead of the the you know the um, pick and roll is you cannot count on that every single night. Yeah, and so it's just like I feel like his strategy for shooting forty threes a game is just to tell everybody on the team you've got a green light from three, let it fly, which is fine. I'm okay with that. That's one of the ways that you do it. But I feel like he didn't do. There's nothing in place so far to me at least, that suggests that they're actually really doing anything beyond just telling guys, we'll shoot more threes. Like, it's not as simple as we're just going to shoot a bunch of threes. You have to be able to generate high-quality three-point looks. And it's just, I'm worried about it. I'm worried about a lot of things with the way that the, just schematically and coaching-wise, there's a lot of things that are worrying me right now. And they're all things that I was worried about coming into the season. And through two games, they have been all every single one of them pretty much has popped up but we're gonna let that sit for now um and i'm gonna close it off by just saying it's two games i have to try and be patient with it everyone should try and be at least somewhat patient with it let's see what it looks like as they get a little bit more settled so what is it that we have next no yeah and and that's the thing like they you know their next game is against the sixers and that like you know that is an elite Eastern Conference team, and I feel like that's where we'll really get a sense of where this Pistons team stands in this Eastern Conference without LeBron and everything in it. So, I'm like gonna, where 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 you ima- you imagine you know the Celtics, Raptors, and Sixers sit atop the Eastern Conference, and you want to if you want to really see where the Pistons team stand stands, I feel like this is the game where you really kind of figure it out. I'm gonna make a bold prediction: the Pistons are not going to shoot 33s against the Sixers. Because the Sixers are really no, yeah, good I, I don't think so. And I'm, I, am serious. I think that they do not have any good ways to create three point shots. And they got up forty in this game because the Bulls are a terrible defensive team, and that's just you can do that against the Bulls. The Sixers are a great defensive team. I don't think they're going to get thirty of them up. I think they're going to get. I seriously think they're going to get slaughtered. Like I honestly, yeah. And, uh, well, my only, I guess my only take on that is I feel like the Sixers struggle from three uh, like just like the same sort of the same way that the Pistons do except like you know you have like Embiid who can shoot the three as opposed to Drummond who kind of thinks he can shoot three but yeah. you know can every so often but um but I I, f- I feel like I feel like the Sixers pose a less of a threat than you know I say like the Raptors or the Celtics will in this conference where you know, the both of those teams have plenty of guys who can shoot from outside, whereas the the Sixers, you know, if if Covington's on, he can. If not, then 
they'll have a better chance, but I, you know, I just don't, uh, you know, that I feel like their shooting from inside and out is going to be much better than the Pistons. Yeah. So just because you touched on it, I just want to go on record at this point. I think I've seen enough of Andre Drummond jump shots. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an experiment. Okay. You know, it's cool. I'm glad he tried it. And, you know, if occasionally he wants to try and shoot a three, you know, every couple games in the future, whatever. But no, I think I've, I've seen enough of that. No more, no more jump shots, Andre. Just go to the, the, I'm okay. If he's wide open and the game is absolutely at hand, like it, you know, late in the game, every close kind of game, like I'm okay with him taking that shot in like the second or third quarter, if he's wide open, but it, like it, beyond that, I I don't want to see that shot. It, it's just not consistent enough for me to trust. Yeah, I mean he's just because it's not just that he's missed a bunch of them; it's that they've been bad misses, like real oh, bad yeah. misses. So I'm just I'm I've seen enough of that. Uh, shelve it. Maybe try and bring it back next year. But yeah, there we don't need any more of that. Um, so the next sort of thing is. Uh, sort of beyond my general complaints about Dwayne Casey, sort of general thoughts on this game. Um, it should be noted that Ryan did not see most of the game. You saw, I'm what, what did you see of the game? I, I saw mostly the fourth quarter, like just them finishing it out, which I mean was fine. You know, the bulls are not like, a, you know, the bulls are not a good team. <laughs> like offensively, defensively, they're not a good team. So I like it. You would expect the Pistons to be able to close that game out. But, um, but yeah, that, that's most of what I saw, but it, it's just, I, I feel like these first two games have been against teams that the Pistons absolutely have to be better than them in this conference. And, you know, going forward, I feel like the next, you know, three or four games, they have the Sixers, Cavs and Celtics coming up, which I feel like are the, you know, the teams that are, that'll really test this team and see, help us see what we have looking at going forward. Yeah, so just even though you only saw kind of the fourth quarter, what are some sort of basic thoughts you had on the on the win tonight? Uh, I mean, it's it, like a it's a good win, like it's a win that you have to have, and you know, I li- I like to see as as far as the um as far as the um like the point spread goes, like I, you want you want to see. Blake get get his plenty of touches, which obviously he did. He had the he had the most minutes on the team, which you know you want to see. But you know you, you kind of get concerned with with Drummond being Drummond's your second best player, and for him to only get you know ten points against a I th- I'm pretty sure Markkinen's out for the Bulls, right? Yeah, Lori Markkinen. Yeah, you you want to see Drummond get just dominate inside against a team like that. And you, you know, I feel like they probably could have done a better job like that, but I, you know, I guess I'd probably throw it to you at that point. I, I, I didn't see a whole lot of how Drummond played in this game. Uh, I, you know, ten, 10, 10 and 13 is, a, you know, it's a double double, which some people care about, but it's really not that big in this, this uh, NBA nowadays. Well, I mean, it's 10 and 13, but he shot five of 13 from the field. So it's an inefficient 10 points. And, right. Um, he was in foul trouble the entire game. He didn't play very good defense. He did have one huge block on Bobby Portis, which was like the sort of like comically huge block on him. But no, it was not an impressive game for Andre Drummond. And I really feel like I, this, I'm gonna I'm gonna start complaining about the scheme again. I really feel like the defensive scheme is 
killing Andre Drummond's defense because I, I think he's going to continually be in foul trouble because they're just giving ball handlers so much space to get up to speed that by the time they get to Andre Drummond, they're going they're going at absolute top speed. And Andre has never been sort of a great, um, you know, be at exactly the right place and exactly the right time and always being exactly the perfect defensive stance. And if you're not all of those things, NBA ball handlers going at full speed towards you is going to result in you getting lots of fouls. And so I think that as long as they keep this defensive scheme, Andre Drummond's going to be in foul trouble every single night. I seriously, I actually think that at this point. But regardless, he did not play well. And a lot of it was because of the foul trouble, which was, yeah, it was a problem. And somehow or another, they, you know, whether it's him or the scheme or whatever, they have to figure out a way to not have him be in foul trouble. Um, the best news coming out of this game is obviously Blake Griffin. He was an absolute monster. 33 points on, let's see, he had, he shot, took 23 shots, 6 free throws, so 26 shot equivalents for him on the night. 33 points on 26 shot equivalents is awesome. Also had 12 rebounds, 5 assists, no turnovers. Plus 17 on the night in his 35 minutes. And I just, you know, I through the first two games, the Pistons played a couple of teams that are very ill-equipped to defend Blake Griffin, which obviously makes it easier. It will not get, you know, it, it, it'll only get harder from here on out for Blake Griffin. But Oh, yeah. That's yeah, one yeah. Of the, go, go, going, to go, going up against Jared Dudley game one, I, I kept screaming the whole game. I was like, I cannot believe yeah. I'm going to Blake every single play. Yeah, <laughs> you know? You got Bobby Portis tonight. And Bobby Portis isn't a terrible player, but he's certainly no, not. No, he, he's, he's a good player, but he's not Blake Griffin. Yeah, and he's, he's not a particularly strong defender, and he also didn't seem to have a whole lot of interest in defending Blake Griffin. But, you know, that's part of the – as much as it's like, well, it almost – you know, neither team is good at defending and particularly weak up front. But that is part of the point of having Blake Griffin is that you've got that guy that there's some matchups where he's just so much better than whoever's guarding him that he just, they cannot stop him and he basically single-handedly wins you the game. And that's kind of what happened here. I, the, the best thing for me was that um, he really got out and pushed the ball in transition. He got, so he had the 12 rebounds. And every single time he got the ball and he sprinted into transition and pushed the ball. And I think that's 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 honestly probably when he's at his best is when he, when he has the ball in his hands and he gets out and runs. So I hope that we see that as a continued trend going forward. But that was a really good sign. I don't actually... It's great that he's shooting so well from deep to start the season. I think he went three for three from deep in the first game. Um, or maybe two for two. I know that he, yeah, I think he started off, he, he shot well in the first game, went five of three from deep in this game. That's cool. I don't particularly care about that long-term. That'll come down to earth. I, I'm assuming he's going to shoot around 35% from deep at the end of the season, so that'll come down at some point. But I also, another thing that I liked about, that I've liked about him through the first two games is so last season when he arrived in Detroit, there were two things that really stood out big time to me as issues that he has to work out. One of them was closing out on shooters on defense, which that is still very much an issue. The other one was on offense. When he didn't have the ball last year, 
he had a strong tendency to just sort of loiter around the outside and basically just stand there waiting to get the ball back and didn't really do anything useful when he didn't have the ball. And on some very basic sort of trying to keep an eye on him, um, it's looked like he's been better about that. So when he doesn't have the ball, he's been better about going and finding someone to set a screen for or generally doing some more movement without the ball in his hands. And so that's good. I'm glad to see that. And that'll be a big benefit for them going forward. So, and he was... Yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel like last year he was so... I, it, it seemed like he was so thrown off by the trade and everything that came with it, with, you know, him just jumping into a, you know, a much different situation than he had with the Clippers. I feel like he was dejected from the team. It just didn't feel like he was really buying into everything. Like, not that... Not, like, I... I feel like towards the end he was still trying, but I just feel like he wasn't really he wasn't really getting into like buying into Stan Van Gundy's offense, which made sense. You know, it was just not something that he could just jump into halfway through a season. But I feel I feel like this season, like to to Casey's credit, you know, as you know, as much as he still has to figure out, I feel like Blake Griffin has really bought in this season, which is really good. Like especially with the first game, you could tell just by his um, by by the way he was playing and even in between plays, like how he was uh, how he's interacting with the team, I feel like he really wants to lead this team to something beyond what they might even be capable capable of. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I'm once again, that is one of the benefits of Dwayne Casey is that everyone likes him. I whether players or media types or everybody who interacts with Dwayne Casey thinks that he's just the greatest dude. Every single player pretty much that he's ever had goes to bat for him and says, this is a great guy. I loved playing for him. So if the Pistons can stay healthy, then you know what? Maybe Dwayne Case will just be so popular that every night Blake Griffin's going to play his tail off, Reggie Jackson will know his role, and Andre Drone will play hard, and it'll work out. Um, so just to be fair about that. Um, I am, like I've mentioned earlier, I'm a little concerned about just how reliant they are on Blake Griffin on offense because they've been almost comically reliant on him. Um, there was another thing from this game, actually, that I didn't like um, from a coaching standpoint, and it was the rotation decisions around Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson because I believe in the first half they came off the floor at the same time in the first quarter, and in the second quarter they came back on at the same time. And... I, not that you necessarily have to try and stagger their minutes significantly, but I would think that you definitely would not be going out of your way to keep them both together all the time because when you take both those guys off the floor, there's definitely a significant um, lacking in ball handling on the floor. And you, we, you saw that in this game, that when those two guys were off the floor, the offense got real ugly real quick. And so... That's something that I'm a little bit, I'm a little perplexed as to why they made that decision. I'm going to kind of hope that it's just sort of the Andre Drummond foul trouble and just kind of, it just sort of happened like that. But if that continues, that would be a little perplexing to me, although maybe it'll end up working, but it just, those two don't seem like they're the sort of really, really clean fit that you would be going out of your way to keep them on the floor together as much as possible. So, like, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, because they're so good in the pick and roll together, those are guys that, okay, yeah, I think every single second Reggie Jackson is on the floor, you should try and have Andre Drummond on the floor. But I just, I don't see that with Jackson and Griffin, but and we'll see how that goes longer term. 
Um, I complained about Ishmith earlier. One thing that I'm a little... Another one I'm a little perplexed by is Glenn Robinson III only played 13 minutes in this game. And so, basically, an Ishmith playing so many minutes didn't... I, that's taken away also from that because they're going with so many three-guard lineups, so they're leaving Glenn Robinson III on the bench. And that's another one that's like, why are you playing Ish Smith over Glenn Robinson III in crunch time? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, if I'm being honest about the situation. But, yeah. Well, so. that, that, that's one thing I, I kind of wanted to get your take on. It's sort of relating to Glenn Robinson III is, like, I, I have not been able to figure out. I love Reggie Bullock. That, you know, I'm a North Carolina fan, so him coming out of college was just a big, you know, I, I was I had high hopes for him, and then it just didn't work out on, on the Clippers. So when he went to the Pistons, I was really excited for him, and I just I can't figure out his role on this team. Like obviously, like he's a he's a good shooter, and it, that's what this team needs is some outside shooting. But I just can't him being in the starting lineup. Like you assume he's going to be a starter going forward. I just can't figure out what what advantages he has over other guys. Cause I feel like he can shoot, but outside of that, I just, I can't figure it out for him. You're talking about Reggie Bullock. Yeah. Um, Oh man, you're talking to the, um, uh, the foremost authority on all things good having to do with Reggie Bullock. I think he's awesome. He's by <laughs> far, he's by far. No, yeah, the that, that's the thing. I like, I like him. I just can't like, I can't figure out what, what his role needs to be when it comes to, you know, Robinson on the bench and Kennard on the bench. I just can't figure out what, like, okay. I, I want to, I like I, I want to have all three guys on the, uh, on the court at like at equal times, but I just can't feel like Bullock. I can't feel like Bullock does an, enough to really put him over at least Kennard who you want to just do better. Like I, you know, I, at this point, Bullock's a better player than Kennard as far as we've seen, but I just want to see a little more out of both of them to really decide who's going to be the starter night after. If Dwayne Casey moves Reggie Bullock to the bench in favor of anyone else, that will be official riot time for me. Um, <laughs> he's, I think he's, I think he is their best wing, and that it's not even close. He's their he's a better yeah. shooter than anyone else on the roster. He's a good defender. He's not a great defender, but he's a good one. He fits perfectly with the rest of the guys on the team. Um, he's got a really good chemistry in the two man game with Blake Griffin. He has just enough ball handling, and he is there. It's not even close. He's their best wing player. That's where that's what his fit is on this team. He is their best wing player. He's a better shooter than anyone else. He's he's not as good a defender as Stanley Johnson. He's probably better than anyone other than Stanley Johnson on defense. He's got better ball handling skills than honestly any of their other wings other than maybe Luke Kennard. And um he's he's much better off ball than any of those guys. So he's just he's by far their best wing player, I think. And I'm honestly I don't think that's particularly close. So like I haven't complained about Dwayne Casey playing Reggie Bullock minutes over Luke Kennard. No, yeah, because... and, and, and that's the thing. Like, I, I I don't really complain when he plays because he I feel like he never plays bad. I just feel like his his ceiling isn't as high as say a Kennard might be. But I I just feel like Kennard doesn't get enough playing time to where I I want to see what he could do in Kennard or in Bullock's absence. I mean. Like well, I, I just feel I want to I want to be able to because if you're gonna if you're gonna take Kennard that high in the draft like I want to be able to see what he can do over a guy like Bullock who 
you got, but you know, you didn't get, you didn't have to give away much to get Reggie Bullock, and you don't have to, you don't have to give him that much to make him stay, you know. So well, I actually, like I, I, uh, they're probably gonna. Yeah, go Reggie Bullock's gonna get paid this off season. I think he's got the Pistons are probably not going to be able to retain Reggie Bullock because Reggie Bullock's probably gonna be too expensive, and also why would he stay in Detroit? He's probably. Reggie Bullock's going to go to a really good team and probably, like, win a championship because he's, he's, Reggie Bullock. Oh, yeah, he's, really he's got, he's, he's got Warriors written all over. <laughs> that dude is, that, I think he's, he honestly, you could make an argument, you could talk me into saying he's the Pistons' third best player. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I can see that. And, I mean, Luke Kennard, if Luke Kennard ends up being as good as Reggie Bullock, Luke Kennard will have come close to his ceiling. I seriously, I think that highly of Reggie Bullock. So if you want to be, quite frankly, you're talking to the, you're probably talking to the wrong guy if you think, if you're (laughs) asking what Reggie Bullock does well, because I think that dude is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Yeah, just, he is is by far their best wing. Um, If Dwayne Casey were to start, anyone else over him then it's like if he did that tomorrow all that stuff i said about or not tomorrow for their next game if reggie block came off the bench all the stuff i said about well you know we do have to tamper a little bit it's only two games all of that is out the window and i'm saying Dwayne casey has to be fired this dude doesn't know what the heck he's doing like he's this is totally out of control that would literally be my response to that he is clearly their best wing player and because Stanley Johnson can't freaking put the ball in the hoop. Glenn Robinson is good, but so Glenn Robinson is actually closer, I think, to what you're talking about, where it's like, you know, he does some stuff good, but I'm not sure that he does anything well enough to stand out enough to really be, to like be a starting caliber player, for instance, because we've actually got this down. I don't know if we'll have time in the end for it. Um, but there, there's a decent section of the Pistons fandom who thinks that he should start over Stanley Johnson. And there, yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot. There of that. is, there is a case for that, mostly around the fact that Glenn Robinson can like you know shoot a little bit, and Stanley Johnson can't at all. But there is definitely a question of: Is there anything that Glenn Robinson does well enough to really make him stand out? So like with Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup, for all that, it is true that his offense is miserable, and it is um, having a guy of his defensive caliber. Because even though in the first two games, no, he didn't even play in the first game. But So against the Bulls, they don't have that sort of really great wing scorer on the roster. So it lessens the effect of Stanley Johnson. But there are enough of those guys in the league that having a guy like Stanley Johnson in your starting lineup is pretty important. And actually the Pistons prior to last year, so the f- previous two years were like Marcus Morris was in the starting lineup. That bit them a lot because it was like, well, Marcus Morris is a good defender, but he's not like an elite defender. And they consistently just get trashed by really high level scores on the wing. And for what it's worth, with Tobias Harris as a starting power forward, guys like Blake Griffin would regularly trash them as well. And so I think that having a guy like Stanley Johnson on the defensive end is important for your starting line because he just stands out so much on that end. And I'm not sure that Glenn Robinson stands out enough on the offensive end to really make that worthwhile, but it's just, it is still a little perplexing to me why he played 13 minutes in this game because um, very clearly the Pistons were having trouble defending this entire game. And I feel like 
just put him in for one of the point guards, whether it's Reggie Jackson or Ish Smith, put Glenn Robinson in. I mean, <laughs> see if that shores up your yeah, defensive yeah, effort. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, especially against a, a, a team that is not going to be in it this year, like the Bulls. Like, you, you need – if you're not getting that kind of spark, you put a guy like Glenn Robinson the third in to – to give your offense that kind of, you know, juice it needs to kind of get going against a, a team that just is not that good, which is the Bulls. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not sure that I've been as frustrated after a really fairly entertaining and close win as I am right now about this Bulls game, to be honest. Because normally I'm all about, like, oh, well, you know, just be positive, look positive at it, and hey, it was a fun game. But this is, I am hugely frustrated about this game. They were completely bailed out by no reason other than that. Blake Griffin is phenomenal. And that is great. Blake Griffin is phenomenal. And the Pistons have Blake Griffin. But against better teams, that's not going to work. And the bigger picture is that you have to assume Blake Griffin is going to miss 10 to 20 games this year. He's not going to be healthy this season. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to you have to be used to Griffin and Jackson missing multiple games. You have to like you have to be able to have some kind of backup for that in case that kind of thing happens. And if the first two games are any indication, if Blake Griffin misses ten games this year, the Pistons will lose every single one of them and miss the playoffs. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. I'm ugh, I'm really worried about that. So yeah, I mean. I'm just, I'm one thing that was kind of nice is, um, whew, excuse me, Zaza Pachulia in this game actually looked pretty decent, filling in for Andre Drummond. Um, he shot six free throws, scored five points, had a f- couple of assists. That's assists, right? He had third. He only had one assist. Never mind. He had eight rebounds though. Um, he's actually looked. I he's kind of a goofus. A uh, goofus. He's kind of a doofus, but. Um, he's actually no, yeah, good I, in the first couple. I would of games. say goofus is a, is, a, is a good term. Yeah, but uh, he's actually you know, looked, like I feel like in in the first game, especially like he picked up like every foul he could get as yeah. as fast as it, it feel like he could have. But uh, like I feel like that's exactly what you need out of a guy who's backing up Andre Drummond. Is you just need a guy who could get in there and you know provide some grit and kind of lock up whoever they're going to be. Um, you know, kind of protect Andre from whoever they got going yeah. in there. Whoever might be kind of roughing them up a little bit, Zaza's going to go in there and rough them up. Well, so yes. it's you know it's it's like as weird of a signing as it is that Zaza came to this team. It, you know, it's it's a much better option than they would have had otherwise. Well, I mean, sort of the bigger thing is just that Zaza is the sort of he's old enough that you had that they're you know legitimate to wonder about if he has anything left in the tank like at all. And he played, because of the Andre Drummond foul trouble, he played some pretty significant minutes in the first two games. And I'm still worried about how how he will hold up if he ends up having to play significant minutes all season, um, which hopefully he won't. Hopefully John Lure comes back soon, and then John Lure will take those minutes. Man, but- I, I'm... I'm I'm worried about that guy, man. Yeah. I I just don't I don't think Lure's. Uh, I'm starting to get the feeling Lure's never going to come back as you know as anything that we might expect from him. Well, I'm we'll see. If, if you're if you're out this long for the same lingering injury, I just don't know. I don't I don't think he's gonna. It just doesn't feel like he's gonna come back like how you want him to. Yeah. Well, regardless of John Lure's status, basically 
there was it was legitimate to wonder that you know even in limited minutes does Zaza Pachulia have anything left in the tank? And I not that he's that good because he's not that good, but I at the very least through the first two games it looks like he at least has something left in the tank and. Um, as long as he doesn't end up having to play so much that his body just is like, nope, can't do this anymore. Um, it looks like he's going to be able to do the sort of fill-in when needed thing with at least some ability, which is a good sign for the Pistons. Um, because as of right now, he does have to make some fill-ins. So, yeah, we're actually right at an hour, so we'll probably wrap it up. Do you have any sort of last thoughts you want to make on sort of anything at all? Um, not that I, you know, I don't know that I can think of, I, I just feel like in general, like, I feel like looking forward, these next few games are going to be really big for what we expect from this Pistons team, you know, with the, with the Sixers cat, you know, the Sixers are obviously one of the top, you'd expect them to be one of the top three or four teams in this Eastern conference with the, te- the young talent they have. The Cavs are, you know, everybody likes to laugh at the Cavs because LeBron left, but they still have some really good players left over and you know, Colin Sexton coming off the bench as a point guard there, who I, I assume will start eventually, is a really good um, addition for them. And then, the, the, you know, obviously the Celtics, they have a couple a couple games coming up with the Celtics coming soon, which, you know, the Pistons tend to play the Celtics really hard, but, it, you know, I, I'd just like to see how they match up to really, I feel like the next few games will really get a sense of what this Pistons team really has and what Casey has in store for these kind of teams that are more they feel more like modern NBA teams than the Pistons have right now, just with their shooting and everything that um, everything that they're wait that we're waiting to see happen with this team. Well, I mean, just to play positive, how do you even English? Just to be positive for a moment. One thing to keep in mind is that if the Pistons sort of you know quote unquote take care of business. They should come out of that three and two still. So they've won the first two games. Yeah. They should beat the Cavs. You can lose to the Sixers and the Celtics, and you're still three and two. So you're in a decent spot. Um, one thing is that, and like you said, the Pistons play the Celtics really tough. And now with Blake Griffin fully engaged, they should only play them tougher because, I mean, so they're starting. Um, they're starting Jason Tatum at power forward. And while no, like, oh, yeah, we'll like, to, like Tatum's a really good player, but Griffin yeah. should mop the floor with him on off. Well, yeah, and for what it's worth, remember Blake will have to guard him on the other end. But <laughs> I mean, if you thought that the Celtics had issues with the piston size before when they had Tobias yeah. Harris at power forward next to Andre Drummond, I mean, they should be able to have some. I, I just that should be the Pistons should be a tough matchup for them in that reason. Um. I mean, the Celtics are so good that it probably won't matter. But they're also, the Celtics have not looked quite as good as people thought they were going to out the gate. No, yeah, that, that's that, that's the really weird thing about the Celtics is I feel like, you know, they, they're return, they're, everybody's excited about like, oh, we had such a good team last year without Kyrie and uh, Gordon Hayward, and they have not played well, <laughs> you know, this first week of the season. So I'm interested to see how they actually end up going Well, going you know, forward. actually... I kind of think that them and also the Sixers, for what it's worth, I think people are probably overestimating them a little bit because yeah. it's sort of this is something that happens with pretty much every sort of whatever group of sort of team that has young players on it. 
people always want to assume that players, you know, from the time they're like 19 to when they're like 26, everyone likes to assume that these players are all going to make a linear progression towards getting better. And that it's just going to sort of go exponentially. But so it's like, okay, with the Celtics, what if, so Jason Tatum had a great rookie year. There's no denying that. What if Jason Tatum is just kind of like about as good as he was last year, right? And doesn't become like a superstar this year. And he's still just, well, he's good. He's a great young player, but he's not a superstar yet. You know, what if Jalen Brown is just like, yeah, he's what he was last year, which is a really, really good player, but not like a superstar. Um, You know, and then you think about Philly. What if Joel Embiid still is a bad outside shooter and still turns the ball over constantly and is a black hole on offense? What if Ben Simmons still can't shoot and maybe doesn't? It sure sure looks like it early on. Yeah, you know, so it's just kind of like everyone wants to assume that young players are always going to make these linear progressions, and sometimes they do, but there's also a lot of times where they don't, and... When that happens, everyone goes, oh, I don't know what happened with this team. It's just, and it's always the same thing. And it's like, well, because you guys assumed that every player on this roster was about to become an all-star. And surprise, surprise, every single 20-year-old with promise doesn't become an all-star. So it's just, I wouldn't be surprised if both of those teams are actually not quite as good as everyone thought they were going to be. But I still, I don't, I really don't like the Pistons' chances against the Celtics the Sixers because I think the Pistons match up very poorly with them. Um, I think the Pistons should be able to take the Cavs without much trouble. The Cavs, I think the Cavs are going to be terrible, but yeah, I, 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 I have trouble forecasting the, you know, figuring out what the Cavs are going to do. Cause Kevin Love is finally, you know, he's got his, you know, the same thing he had with Minnesota where he's, he's going to be their number one guy, but yeah, I just don't I don't know if they have enough firepower. It'll all depend on what Sexton does. I'm not sure. Forward. Well, okay, so Con Sexton, he's got a lot of potential, but rookie point guards pretty much always suck. Oh and yeah. I'm not sure that the Cavs have a single guy in their roster who's a plus two way player. Maybe yeah. if George Hill is looking particularly spry, which he didn't ever last year. Maybe George Hill would fall into that category, but that's their best chance. I'm not sure they have a single two-way player on that roster, so I just I don't see them. I think their defense is going to be terrible, and Kevin Love is good, but I don't think that they have enough firepower other than Kevin Love to even like approach league average on offense. So I think there's right. a very good chance they're a bottom 10 offense and a bottom 10 defense this year. And probably like by bottom 10 defense, probably like one of the worst def- defenses in the league. So yeah, I think they're going to be terrible. So the Pistons should be able to beat them. And I Boston's really good, but the Pistons are a tough matchup for them. So I, I think the Pistons could have some sort of a chance there, but. Oh yeah. Like, like, like Drummond tends to own TD garden. So like, I, yeah. you know, I, it's tough to say whether they'll completely dominate against them during the regular season. Like if, you know, it's, it's just so the Celtics team is so weird where they, they match up not necessarily well against the Pistons, but they just have a whole lot of, a whole lot better offense than the Pistons on it. it, Like I, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what, the Pistons put up against them just cause just to see where they're at in this conference. Cause I just feel like it's such a, with LeBron gone, I just feel like the, the conference is just so up in the air. Yeah. 
And, I mean, like you said, there is an extent. Now, of course, it's so early in the season that it's foolish to draw any too many really wide-picture conclusions from the first few games of the season. But for the early going, playing against Philly and also the, um, uh, and also the Celtics, and, you know, we'll even toss the Cavs in there. Um, for all the complaining that I've done on this podcast about Dwayne Casey and his schemes and such, if the Pistons come out, even if they still look ugly and such, if they win an ugly game against the Sixers and they win an ugly game against the Celtics, guess what? Those are real teams. Those are the teams you're trying to beat. Oh, yeah. So then I'm yeah. not saying, well, you know, they won, but the Pistons aren't trying to beat the Bulls and the Nets. Guess what? The Pistons are trying to beat the Sixers and the Celtics. So even if it remains very ugly, if they beat them, then that'd be a big change of heart or change of tone. So, um, yeah, I think that is going to be important. I th- Honestly, I think they're going to get killed by the Sixers, but we'll see. And, I mean, yeah, it's going to be big. They have to have Andre stay out of foul trouble, and they have to sort of – they have to find some way for the offense to generate – or the bench mob to generate more offense – and they better find some minutes for Luke Kennard, or I'm gonna I'm gonna slowly go insane. Yeah, that, no, yeah, absolutely. Like I feel like that's the number one thing for me going forward is that like he has to play. I like I don't know what capacity it has to be. I don't know, you know, where he is necessarily in his rehab of his injury that he had over the off season. But like I feel like if he is healthy, he has to play. No matter like if it's just for some amount of minutes off the bench unit or if he want if you want to mix him in with the starters somehow he has to play no matter what yep i'm i'm totally there i think he's he's too good to not play and yeah um yeah and we've talked about this and also a whole bunch of people owe me and kuka hill an apology cuz so many of you guys were like no he's not going to play langston galloway over luke Kennard. it's just cuz he's hurt no it's not he said it in the post game press conference they didn't play Luke Kennard tonight because he doesn't think Luke Kennard can defend. He doesn't give a crap if Luke Kennard is by far their best offensive wing behind Reggie Bullock. He's going to play Langston Galloway because Langston Galloway is a little bit better defensively. So, yeah, that's a positive note for us to finish on here. We'll finish on positive note. Blake Griffin is freaking phenomenal, and oh, if, yeah. he has, if he does anything close to staying healthy this season... He's going to be an absolute blast to watch all year. It was a blast to watch him in the first two games of the season. That dude is absolutely incredible, and I'm thrilled to see him in the in a Pistons uniform. He's probably the best player to put on a Pistons uniform since Grant Hill, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Like, I feel like it would be, like, you want to see what he does this season compared to, like, him and Drummond, because Drummond's hold, kind of held that title with, you know, like by default, because you know yeah. there hasn't been anybody really come in and hold that. But yeah, like I, I feel like a total total package. Blake Griffin's definitely been the best. Thing. Yeah, way too long for people to. People are like, oh, well, Blake Griffin's not going to fix it. Well, he'll do something. You know, yeah. he'll he'll win a he'll couple get them, games. To he'll start get them the to the playoffs if the if the rest of that team is really good enough to make it. Yeah. So, and yeah. So that's a more positive note to close on. So I think that's pretty good. Um, Stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.